When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Tenth. I'm your host, Scott Feldman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. Now, one of the many enduring questions we hear about the use of botanicals and leaves in our aquariums concerns about how long the materials that we add to our tanks last once we prepare them and add them to our systems. It's a good one, too. As the leaves are affected by the aquatic environment, they're acted upon uh, by water conditions, the presence of bacteria, fungi, and fish and invertebrate populations. Now, we're often asked which leaves last longer than others and what the reasons might be for this. Is it strictly the durability of the leaves? Is it that they're somehow distasteful to the organisms which are expected to consume them? Is it something in the water? What gives? Let's look at how natural aquatic systems process leaves for some clues. Now, decomposition is an amazing process by which nature processes botanical materials for the use by the greater ecosystem. It's, and I shouldn't say botanical materials, nature processes materials in general for use by the greater ecosystem. It's the first part of the recycling of nutrients that were used by the plant from which the botanical materials come from in our case. When botanical material decays, it's broken down and converted into more simple organic forms, which become food for all kinds of organisms at the base of the ecosystem. The aquatic, in the aquatic ecosystems, much of the initial breakdown of botanical materials is conducted by detritivores, specifically fishes, aquatic insects, and invertebrates, which serve to begin the process by feeding upon the tissues of the seed pod or leaf, while other species utilize the waste products which are produced during the process for their nutrition. In these habitats, such as streams and flooded forests, a variety of species work in tandem with each other, with various organisms carrying out different stages of this decomposition process. Interestingly, in some wild aquatic habitats, such as the famous peat swamps of Southeast Asia, the decomposition of leaves which falls into these waters is remarkably slow. In fact, ecologists have observed that the leaves typically do not break down completely. Why is this? Well, it's commonly believed that these low nutrient waters, which are high in tannins and highly acidic, seem to impede microbial activity. Now, this is seemingly at odds with the understanding that the passive leaching of dissolved organic compounds, the or DOC, from leaf litter has been found to be a major source of energy in tropical stream habitats, fueling the microbial food chains which we're so fascinated by. No doubt the water parameters have something to do with this. These are unique habitats. Uh, here's a few stats from the peat swamps in which some studies on leaf decomposition were conducted. Water temperature was between uh, 25 degrees centigrade to 32 degrees centigrade, that's, uh, or Celsius, excuse me, that's uh, 77 degrees Fahrenheit to about 89 degrees Fahrenheit. The pH, and this is interesting, 2.6 to 3.8, that's pretty darn acidic. The TDS, total dissolved solids, was between 89 and 134 milligrams per liter. Nitrate was 0.2 milligrams per liter at the most, 0 to 0 0.2. Dissolved oxygen was about 1.8 to, to as high as 16 milligrams per liter, so it varies. In these studies, leaves of native species found along the swamps were, you know, submerged in the waters of the swamps. They lost very little biomass, 
while other leaves from trees that were farther down the, uh, from the water and maybe worked their way into the water through other means, wind or whatever, did break down more substantially. Now this tends to rule out the generally held theory that ecologists have, which postulates that the slow decomposition rate in the peat swamps is due to extreme conditions. Rather, as mentioned above, it's believed that the resistance to decomposition is due to the physical and chemical properties of the leaves, which are found right along the swamps. The species like Pandanus and some other species which have leaves that apparently may be impervious to the harsh conditions of the swamp. The reason again, think about it. Leaf litter in tropical peat swamp forests builds up into peat many feet deep over thousands of years and thus impedes nutrient cycling. And when you think about it, inputs of nutrients into most peat swamps come solely from rainfall because rivers and streams in the region don't always flow into the swamps. In such nutrient poor, highly acidic conditions, it's more beneficial for plants to protect their leaves rather than to replace them when they're subjected to elements like wind and herbivore damage, you know, mostly by insects, with new growth. And interestingly, bacteria and fungi are known to be responsible for leaf breakdown in the peat swamps because ecologists typically don't encounter aquatic invertebrates in the peat swamps, which are known to ingest leaf material. So yeah, our friends, the fungi, those guys again. Fungi are regarded biologists, by biologists to be the dominant organisms associated with decaying leaves and streams, so this gives you some idea as to why we see them in our aquariums, right? Now here's another fascinating conclusion from researchers Kathleen M. Newell and Yelatelia Gomez on leaching of dissolved organic com, uh, carbon, DOC, in the early stages of leaf litter decomposition in these peat swamps. And I quote, most of the DOC appears to be leached within a few weeks of leaves falling into the swamp, and thus it appears likely that the cycling of DOC is rapid and occurs before the leaves become part of the peat deposits. This should further explain the presence of the thick superficial root mat layer, also a response to waterlogging, that is a key feature of tropical peat forests. Since the processes of nutrient cycling would occur in the upper leaf litter layer rather than the deeper waterlogged peat. Okay, neat stuff, and it kind of reminds me of those bog mummies from Europe in which the ancient remains of humans are very well preserved because of the acidic, oxygen-poor conditions of these bogs where the bodies are found. Now, during the wet season, the peat swamps are inundated with water, which slows down the aerobic decomposition which occurs in the substrate, conditions which facilitate the formation of the peat. The breakdown of leaves in the wild is fascinating, and it's a, the implications for it and, are in, and its processes in our own aquariums are fascinating as well. It's a dynamic, amazing process, part of why we find the idea of a natural botanical-style aquarium system so compelling. Many of the organisms, from microbes to microcrustaceans to fungi, are almost never seen except by the most observant and keen-eyed hobbyists. But they're there, doing what they've done for eons. They work slowly, they work slowly and methodically for weeks and months, covering the botanical material into, and converting it into forms that are more readily assimilated by themselves and other aquatic organisms. The real cycle of life. And the reason why the surrounding tropical forests are so vital to life, the alichthonous leaf material from the riparian zone, i.e. from the trees, is a source of energy for stream invertebrates, and insects and fishes can't be understated how important this stuff is. When we preserve the rainforests and their surrounding terrestrial habitats, we're also preserving the aquatic life forms which are found there when the waters return. In our aquariums, we're just beginning to appreciate the real benefits of using leaves in botanicals not just for the cool aesthetics or to tint the water, but to create truly natural, ecologically stable aquatic systems for the health and well-being of the fishes that we love so much. So the reason why some leaves last longer than others in our aquariums is open for debate. 
I, although I tend to favor the argument that some leaves that we play with, like magnolia, live oak, loquat, and mangrove, are physically more durable than leaves like catapa, jackfruit, and guava, and thus more resistant to being physically broken down by the fauna and water conditions typically found in our aquaria. Magnolia leaves, for example, have a very waxy coating known as acutin, which renders them more resistant to damage from salt and pollution. And according to botanists, the purpose of this covering is to help the plant retain water and repel these pollutants. It's analogous to the protective mechanisms which the tropical leaves that I just mentioned also you know, possess. Sure, very soft acidic water could have a definite impact on the density of the microbial community and the higher organisms which work the leaves in our aquariums, but I think that our typical pH that we will use in our aquariums uh, is nowhere as low as you see in some of these natural habitats like these peat swamps and even the flooded forests that we talk about so often here. It's a frustrating, difficult to answer with complete clarity, uh, complete clarity sort of question. The reality is that you could probably count on virtually every, every leaf to reach a point where they will eventually be broken down via one force or another. However, for the purposes of working with botanical style aquariums, we should assume that all leaves are more or less consumables, ultimately needing replacement. Sure, leaves like catapa tend to be the most ephemeral in our systems, but every leaf is ultimately subject to decomposition when submerged. One concept about botanical style aquariums that I can't seem to bring up often enough is the idea that many of the habitats that we like to represent in our tanks and the materials which we utilize to escape them are ephemeral. In other words, they're not permanent features. They break down and decompose following long-term submersion. Now, one interesting observation I've made over the years concerning adding you know, leaves to the aquarium and just letting them decay is that dead dried leaves, such as those that we favor, don't have nearly the impact on water quality in terms of nitrate as fresh leaves would. So that's why we don't use fresh leaves. I've routinely seen undetectable nitrate levels in aquariums loaded with botanicals and leaves. We've talked about this before. And this is largely because dead dried leaves have depleted the vast majority of stored sugars and other compounds which lead to the production of nitrogenous substances in the confines of an aquarium. Hence, leaving leaves to fully decay likely reaches a point when the detritus that they produce is essentially inert, consisting of the skeletonized sections of leaf tissue, which can decay no further. Dead leaves contain largely inert forms of polysaccharides and are rich in structures like lignin and cellulose. Oh, and doing regular water changes, of course, can never hurt, right? In the aquarium, much like in the natural habitat, the layer of decomposing leaves and botanical matter, colonized by so many organisms ranging from bacteria to macroinvertebrates to insects, it's a prime spot for fishes. We've covered this idea so many times uh, here, it's probably yawn-inducing for some of you, no doubt. How often do you need to replace the leaves? Well, again, it's another great question for which there's no rule involved. The reality is that you can simply add new leaves on a regular basis, so you'll always be making up for the ones that have decomposed. Some hobbyists like to remove the decomposed leaves, preferring a more pristine look. And it boils down to aesthetics, really. I like to leave them until they're completely broken down. It's important to understand that when we add leaves to aquariums, we're replicating on many levels the processes which occur in nature. So how long do different leaves last? Damn, I wish I had an answer. The reality is that, as with so many things that we play with in the botanical style aquarium game, there's just no way to know for sure. No guarantees and certainties. As we've discussed repeatedly over the past couple of years, there's so many benefits to playing with leaves in the aquarium in some capacity. Whether it's for water conditioning, supplemental food, for specialty fishes, or simply as a cool looking display, overcoming our ingrained aesthetic preferences and accepting the decomposing leaves as a natural, transitory, and altogether unique habitat to cherish in the aquarium, it's a decision that each one of us has to make. 
But if you look at it from a functional aesthetic perspective, it's pretty easy to appreciate the beauty in my very biased opinion. So stay excited, stay engaged, stay curious, stay engrossed, stay adventurous, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tent.